Welcome to the Ranch and Range podcast. Um, our goal here is to talk about ranching, present, future, past, and get insights from people that focus on ranch business, ranch enterprises, ranch life, and just see, get an idea of where their future is headed or where they see the future of ranching headed, what their goals and ambitions are, and just a myriad of other things. I originally recorded this uh, first introduction thinking that it was going to be a very specific thing, but as I've recorded a few episodes, um, I've decided to just sort of leave it open and to see where we go with the guests that we get. So anyways, I appreciate you listening and look forward to getting your feedback. Please like and share. Let's see here. All right. We're up and going. Uh, I want to thank Chris Redman for joining me today. This is going to be the first uh, Ranch and Range podcast, and I couldn't think of a better guy to kick it off. And what I wanted to do with this particular podcast is really showcase some people that are doing some really cool things on uh, ranch landscapes across the West and people that are doing things that you wouldn't necessarily uh, – maybe are atypical people are doing things that are typical and atypical but uh what i thought who would be a really great guest i thought well chris and chris and i uh we talk uh, once every couple months about different things and i found him to be a really uh unique thinker and uh he's we've uh We've been across some of the similar trails, so we have some common backgrounds, and so I thought this would be a really good, great conversation to start with, and I think uh, all you guys will enjoy Chris as much as I enjoy listening to him and visiting with him. So welcome, Chris. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, so I think that you have sort of an interesting journey, so I was thinking we'd just start at the beginning about uh, – what sort of drew you in down the path of being a ranch manager and working on uh, ranchscapes and uh, rangelands and um, what experiences led you to um, start this, to sort of find this passion for this particular industry in your life? Yeah. So, you know, I, I look back on my life and, um, it would seem that a lot of things um, have happened by chance, but uh, I think they're all part of a grand design to get me to where I'm at. You know, I've changed careers quite a few times, but I actually started out in the Air Force as a jet mechanic. And uh, what drew me to ranching was uh, the desire to get out of town and um, to not live in an apartment anymore. And so my first ranch job, I worked for a guy out of Morgan, Utah, um, and, uh, lived in a sheep camp and I would work for him during the day and go work as a jet mechanic for the air force on swing shift. And I just fell in love with ranching from there on out. Um, did that for a couple years. And then, um, the next evolution for me was going to college and getting a range and livestock management degree from the university of Idaho. And, you know, from there, I, I just really pursued the the cowboy lifestyle. And um, I told my wife after that, I just got my bachelor's degree, but I want to get my master's degree in, in cowboy. And, and I just want to be a good cowboy, you know, and 
and uh, I, I really enjoyed that. We we lived on some really large ranches and in really remote places and and really fell in love with remoteness. And uh, yeah, so that was that was pretty fun. Um, so we, I got back. You said the Air Force. Were you in the Air Force or were you a civilian mechanic? I, I was in the Air Force to begin with. Um, and then uh, after I graduated from college, I spent about a year on the Matador Ranch and uh, in Montana. And, and then I decided to go back and work as a civilian um, doing the same thing, being a jet mechanic on F-16s. Yeah. Which Matador Ranch? The one in Dillon? The one in Dillon. Yep. Nice. Yeah, so I was there uh, when Ray Markser was the manager, and uh, yeah, then I um, basically got to missing the remoteness again, and um, we just decided we were going to cowboy for a while, and went and worked for Sorensen's in Ruby Valley, Nevada, and from there went to work for Simplots for two years, and we worked on the outside ranches there. Um, I worked for the JS and the TM and then went back as the foreman for the JS later um, and really loved it. But boy, uh, moving four times a year with a family became a pretty tough deal. And so we found our way to treetop ranches where um, I got to work for Barry Anderson out there in Eastern Oregon. And, and Barry's really the reason that I ended up at the King Ranch Institute. He had a couple of sons that had been through the program and he said, you really need to look at this program. And, and so um, I ended up getting accepted into the King Ranch Institute in 2012 um, and got my master's degree, um, graduated in 20, 2014 from there. Um, Let me turn this radio off real quick, sorry. Oh, come on, we just call that texture. <laughs> sorry about that, <clears throat> I thought I had all of them taken down but yeah no, this is what i like about doing these type of podcasts with people in agriculture is because uh as much as you try uh it's hard to keep that part of your life in the background so For sure um well that's interesting i think yes, what i ask you about is first of all can you explain the texas am ranch management school and yeah uh, Sort of, it is sort of a, it's a really tough school to get into. It's like the, uh, it's sort of like the Ivy League of the ranching industry in a way. So, and it's a real accomplishment to get there. And uh, you, it's not, I guess I would say, from what I understand, it's not that you know somebody, but it's that you've worked with somebody and they thought that you would be a good candidate and nominated you. So it's not like, it, it, so it allows for a pretty diverse amount of people from all over the country to go in and be part of the school. Yeah. Um, understanding. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have to be nominated, but it is like a job interview. And I actually put in for it um, the year before I got in and I didn't get accepted. Um, and so then when I didn't get accepted, I went um, down there and did a, a lectureship and got to meet the director and, um, and see the program, you know, and, and different students. And so, you know, made sure it was something that I wanted to do. And, um, and then I was accepted the next year. But the real, um, I think the real value of the program 
it, I mean, there, there's a lot of values for sure. It, it completely changed my life. It completely changed the way I think about my job and ranching in a way that I used to think about, you know, when I was cowboying, you know, what, what can I get, you know, what benefits do I get? Um, you know, how much autonomy do I have? You know, how, what can I do to basically drive my own vision forward? And after the Institute, I realized that my job as a manager or an employee is to take the company's vision or the owner's vision that I'm working for and to drive it forward. It's not my job to throw my vision out there. It's my job to take their vision forward. Um, and so, you know, to get into the Institute, you have to have a bachelor's degree and, and then you have to have um, anywhere from two to more years of practical work experience um, after your bachelor's degree. And so it, it's a really unique program and they don't want people just coming out of their bachelor's degree to go into the program. Um, they want them to get some real life practical experience to take that education and apply it first um, so that you don't spend too much time in that educational system in a, in a row. Yeah. I So what tools or what experiences from be working at on the matador on treetop uh for Sorensons for simplot you probably brought a lot of uh interesting diversity to your class just having that wide range of experiences and this is like ranching all over the united states so you'll have guys from texas and missouri i'm sure maybe north carolina but um just something unique about the ranches that you worked on as you before you got to that to the um to the AM institute ranch management institute yeah i think one of the biggest things that i brought was um just large landscapes i had worked on some really big ranches and covered a lot of country and and then working my way up you know um i you know i started out um out of college you know and, and i'll say this I think a lot of people get the misconception that you graduate from college with a bachelor's degree and you're ready to go manage a place. And that isn't the case at all. I started out at the bottom, just like everybody else did coming out of college. And, uh, and then I worked my way from the bottom all, all the way to, um, you know, getting to, before I went to the Institute, I was a unit foreman. Um, so I had my own camp and, and unit that I took care of there. And so, um, you know, it just takes time and time and effort and, uh, and a lot of determination to continue to, to grow and progress. Um, what was your project? So my project was a, uh, grazing plan for Roaring Springs Ranch. And for those that don't know Roaring Springs, it's, um, just a little over a million acre ranch. And, and they're very concerned about um, conservation and different endangered species out there. And, and so it was a grazing plan that took all those things into effect. And um, anyway, it was a, it was a huge project. Um, you know, not only that, but as you know, in the West, um, there's a lot of government agencies to, to work with and around. And, and so it included all those pieces as well. So it was, it was a big, big project. Well, it was nice uh, just because I'm local there. Uh, the Burns 
We probably primarily work with the Burns BLM, Oregon State, uh, probably NRCS, some other ones, but that really, that part of Oregon and around where those ranches are, the, um, the public components of the rangelands, the people that work there are really high caliber and really open to studying these kind of things and working with people. So what a great place to do that type of project at. Yeah, it was. I, I had a great time and I, I learned a bunch. Um, and yeah, it really shaped the way I think about grazing and, and land management for sure. Um, really what, was effective. what was one of your biggest takeaways? I, I think the biggest takeaway for me is how important it is to take everything into consideration when you're creating a grazing plan. And <laughs> I mean, you can't, I mean, people get away with it, but you know, you, you've got to think about, you know, where the the sheep are coming down and when they're going to winter and um you got you know spawning for um, cutthroat trout and sage grouse lex and you know all those different components and when you have animals where and what kind of grazing prescription you need for those things um it is very complex um i think that that's really interesting um what do you keep in touch with some of the alumni from the management school and what are they, uh, what are they doing? And uh, just interesting things that you followed since you left there. That yeah. Um, in fact, one of my um, great, the great mentors that I have is as an alumni, his name is Clint Richardson and he's now the manager of um, Deseret cattle and citrus down in Florida and uh, so, you know, he's progressed through his company and um, which is Ag Reserves and uh, done really, really well there. And, and he's a great leader and been a great mentor. I work directly with a, another prior graduate. His name is Jeremy Gingrich. And he's um, one of our director of operations um, out of our Bozeman office. And he's taken and grown through uh, the Turner Ranches uh, company. Um, from being an assistant manager on Vermejo up to that position, um, you know, and he's he's done really well. Um, I've got some people that I graduated with that I still keep in touch with. Um, they're doing some great things. You know, I think virtually everybody that's gone through the program um, is, you know, been managing large ranches or, or doing something pretty great with their life. Do you think that um, I'm trying to search for the right word of the question, but do you think that it, the, the people that it probably gets a different type of person that probably has a little bit more drive and it probably sets the stage for some more innovation, but do you see more rangeland schools and more, and we'll get to all the people that you talk to that are just coming out of schools and stuff here in a little bit, but do you see that um, range management is uh, sort of a growth thing that where there's going to be some innovation or do you sort of see it as stagnant that needs a little disruption or what, what's your feeling on that? Having come from the school, knowing the people that you know, and then seeing people coming out of other schools. Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I, I, I don't know that it's stagnant by any means. Um, I think that there's plenty of opportunity out there, and uh, I see I see there being a need for dynamic um, 
managers in the future, especially, you know, if things continue to progress the way they are, um, people that are willing to, you know, be up on the latest um, technology research, um, all of that, it, it takes it takes a lot to be a ranch manager in today's world. And, you know, I, I used to think that maybe we would see a lot of, and, and we have seen it, but I, I think it may be slowing down, but we would see a lot of the smaller places getting absorbed by bigger places. And I think that's happened uh, quite a bit, but I do see that slowing down and some of the smaller places actually beginning to thrive better now. And, and, you know, they definitely need help um, to continue to, um, for them to grow or, or to continue what they're doing. So um, I think, you know, the King Ranch Institute, they're more geared for large ranches, but, you know, there's other ranch management schools out there like TCU and, um, and some others that they're just putting a new one together at Montana State University. It's called the Dan Scott program. And uh, I think that they're great programs and, uh, and they produce some top notch people. Um, but they, you know, they're geared more for the, you know, the smaller um, ranches for sure. Such a fascinating uh, area managing natural resources. It, uh, I think people underestimate how much, like you said, to be a ranch manager now, you have to stay on top of a lot of research and do so. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's talk about your current role a little bit. Yes. Uh, so I work for Turner Ranches, Turner Enterprises. Uh, Ted Turner um, owns the ranch that I work for. He has uh, 15 ranches throughout the West, and um, and I am lucky enough to manage one of them. I'm in northern Nebraska. It's about an 80,000-acre ranch, um, and we've got about uh, 4,000 animals on the ranch. I um, have three full-time employees, and uh, I'm going to have an intern this summer as well. So we're we're really focused on grass finishing bison. So all of our ranches are bison ranches. We don't have any cattle. Um, total company wide, we have approximately 50,000 bison um, company wide. We um, slaughter somewhere around 10,000 uh, bison a year. And uh, so this ranch, I'm specifically targeting grass finished bulls and trying to get good at finishing those bulls. And uh, then we have also have cow-calf um, operation that supplies those bulls. Um, we also, bison are about a year behind cattle. So we'll run our yearling herd together um, for about a year. And then we'll sort off replacements from that. And then um, either put the others on feed or, or grass finish the, the rest of them. Um. What's the most challenging thing about running bison? Huh. I think the most challenging thing about bison is just understanding their flight zone. Um, they're, you know, they're a little bit more flighty, but, um, you know, we had a chance this week to work with Whit Hibbard um, and doing some stockmanship training and it was excellent. And, you know, we we're doing pretty good, but we learned a lot of stuff to get even better. And so it's pretty fun to be able to do a lot of things with bison now that most people can do with cattle. Um, you know, we had our yearling herd last year, um, which is about 1,200 animals on seven and a half acres with a one-strand poly wire, um, which is pretty awesome. So, 
And how many, how much did you move that many? Uh, so that, that pasture was 12 hours, but normally we're, when we're on our meadows, we're moving uh, daily moves. When we get in our uplands, we're probably at three days per move. That seems like it seems like you're taking on a tremendous amount of work for four employees in an internship. So, um, yeah. But uh, so you you put it in pretty full days every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we really try to. Um, I mean, we work hard, but uh, most of the time, you know, we shoot for five day work weeks, um, and you know, eight to ten hour days. But of course, some of that takes a little longer. We just really try to be efficient and uh, and work well together. Work work together as a team, and you can get a lot accomplished. Oh yeah, um, you've been there about a year now. About a year, yep. Just just creeping up on a year here, and I worked for Turner's for just over six years. I started out um, at another ranch in the Sand Hills called the McMurtry Ranch, and uh, um, and then I spent. Uh, two and a half, three years um, in in the HR world uh, for the company doing recruiting and training. Yeah, and I thought that was an interesting thing about uh, your willingness to take that on because it's so it's such a huge part of, so you get we get this picture of ranching and uh, it's nice to be out with the cattle and everything, but to take on, to understand those other business departments like HR and that kind of stuff, just got to make a more well-rounded thing. And I, th I thought that was great that you took that on and you did it with gusto. So I thought that was, and you're still in it. To yeah, still in it. I still help with the recruiting as you know, you see on the LinkedIn post, I, I try to help um, market a lot of our jobs and, and in our company really. So, you know, and I, and I enjoy it. it. It was hard. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was tough coming off the ranch and, um, and doing that, but I learned a, a bunch and, and I think the real value for me was being able to help the rest of our ranch managers, you know, with their hiring. I mean, that's been a lot of fun to, to see that grow and to see them actually have, you know, a good pool of candidates to choose from. Um, so that's been fun to do that and, and been helpful. I'll put a link in the thing, but there's this great Turner video that Chris is in. And he was talking about the the handling of the livestock or the bison and using low stress techniques. And there's a great picture in there. One of the guys in Montana, and uh, they're in a corral. It's a pretty big corral with some bison, but you can tell this guy knows right where to stand with the flight zones and everything. And he's just so calm in there. They're running around. Bison. Uh, I, I used to do another podcast before and I talked to a guy named Mort Etsby and he said that everything just happens with bison a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and you can, you can, you know, the, the more you work at it, the, the slower you can get it. Um, they're, they're never going to be cattle. They're not designed to be, but you can get it to where it's not crazy and it's actually, you know, uh, predicted somewhat. So. Well, and you had that great real. You had a really great video a while ago from a pasture switch, and it was no big thing. They were just moseying on and switching fields. It was no big deal for them. So, yeah, bison, bison is always fascinating. Me, I think they're amazing creatures. They are. Yeah. What do you What do you find in the bit? Well, what did you find? What do you What are the differences you try, find between cattle and bison? 
And what surprised you the most about bison and what do you miss most about cows? Yeah, so I think for us, and I'm not going to say this is this works for every bison ranch, but we're really passionate about raising animals that are fit to their environment. So we want bison to be bison as much as possible. Um, and so, you know, the differences that we have is we don't feed our bison in the winter. Um, with the exception of our yearling calves, we'll put some cake out, but those animals are expected to go out and make a living because that's what they're designed for. So bison, the rumen of a bison actually goes through a catabolic state in the winter time. It, it slows way down, the turnover rate slows way down, and they're able to utilize the forage that's out there that's cured and there's not much protein, I'll guarantee you that. It's not, it doesn't cure near as well as the grasses out in the west. Um, but uh, they're able to utilize that and, uh, and keep enough flesh on that they can put what they need on before they, before they breed again. And, and they come back with a calf every year. Um, they're very hands-off, and, and that's probably one thing that I miss about cattle, is cattle are a lot more hands-on, but, um, you know, I, I saw um, a post the other day, of, you know, during calving season, what it was like for a cattle rancher and a bison rancher. <laughs> and a uh, bison rancher is kicking back, having a beer, you know, <laughs> and the cattle rancher is frozen to death. But, you know, we calve, um, on the bison's normal natural scale, which is um, starting, you know, about right now um, through, you know, the middle of June. Um, we leave our bulls in pretty much year round, um, but they, they rut just like, you know, an elk or deer would. And, uh, and they have, you know, they have their babies in the spring when the grass is growing. And, um, you know, the, the difference with handling them is just being more sensitive and, and they'll call BS on you. A lot quicker than a cow will. Um, the you know if things aren't going right, you'll know it a lot quicker with the bison. And they're not going to allow you to mistreat them. Um, so those those are some of the biggest differences. I remember when I first saw the position announcement um, for when I went to the McMurtry. Um, when I read through it, it, you know I wasn't too sure about bison. I was pretty hardcore buckaroo at the time, and um, I didn't know if I could swallow enough ego or pride to to go to bison but when i read through the job announcement there really wasn't a lot of difference in the actual management of a cattle ranch versus a bison ranch they're pretty similar before we move on i wanted to visit about conservation but tell me what the bison market is like right now i know there, there's been some struggles it sounds like it's going better um uh some of the places where you guys are focused on maybe differentiation of your product or places that you're thinking about because I think that um, bison are evolving there's more people that seem to be interested in eating bison and so I think it's going through another little growth spurt and it could be a pretty good one in the long term it could be more it could put more people on the bison and have it be more of a permanent staple in our foods yeah uh, bison market is super strong right now uh, you know fat bison um, you know, they're somewhere around the $4 range, um, which is pretty dang good. Um, so it's, it's been strong for a while. People are looking for lean protein sources. And, you know, I, there's probably uh, a misconception out there. You know, I think there's a lot of cattle producers that are producing some good lean meat as well. Um, but bison just has that um, reputation of being a lot more lean. Um, 
you know, bison don't marble very well. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they, they just, uh, aren't designed that way. You can, we put them on feed. We, we do have some bison that we feed and, and they do finish pretty well, but they still aren't going to marble. You'll never get one to prime, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say that you don't have to worry about prime. Yeah. It's <laughs> your own market because, uh, it's just, and the thing that blows me away is to be my little rant for the thing, but there's so many unique, uh, even within beef, there's different types of muscling and there's different flavors that you can bring with your grass fed, corn fed, whether fed potatoes, all these different things, uh, whatever age it's processed at. Um, we sort of been um, put in this, We've been processed, we've been trained in the United States that there's only one good type of beef to eat, and that's corn-fed beef out of minute. And I'm not I'm not yeah. mocking it in any way, but For that's sure. the picture that every, that's what everybody wants to barbecue. But then we have this plethora a diversity of all these other really great choices of protein, especially in the bovine type protein. Mm-hmm. And it's too bad that I'm hoping as we go down this path of uh more people being interested in learning about their food and where it comes from that they are, their palates will be opened up to these new experiences and we won't be in this uh, sort of tunnel that we've been in for a while. Because I think I, I like to, I like to, it's sort of like wine or anything else. I like to feel the difference. There's a different in the texture of the mouth, the different, like how it eats and that kind of stuff. So uh, no, and uh, bison's different. And when you eat bison, it's, you shouldn't be expecting a steak. You should be, ex- and the one that when we ate when we first met when we mm-hmm. ate springs, it was like a big fillet, was it? That I ended up yeah, eating. I think. Yeah, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing, and I had no complaints about it. And if you would have told me it was a bison, I'd have still been completely impressed with it. It was it was a really great just sit down and dining experience. So plus the company was good. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> I think I told you this before, but, uh, you know, 10 years ago, if um, someone would have told me that I'd prefer bison steak over beef steak, I might have punched them in the mouth. But um, I actually do today. I I really love eating bison and, and it's got a it's got a great flavor and uh, and I love it. And and I I do prefer the grass finished um, solid grass finished bison over anything else. And yeah, I think you're right. I, and I do think, you know more people are concerned with where their food comes from. And I think you're going to see a lot of differentiation in the future um, of the beef industry of, you know, what's available and people are going to know what they want. Yeah. So in your job, just raising the bison and everything's a a part of it, but you like uh, when I uh, posted this on LinkedIn that we're going to be talking, I'm pretty sure it's Sage Hen that, you were showing or some sort of uh, plains bird, but conservation is that's got to be paramount. One of the paramount parts of your job description and uh, what, what things are you working on from that perspective? Yeah. So those are sharp tail grouse and, uh, and they're a big, uh, big component of our ranch. Um, you know, we are definitely concerned with conservation. In fact, it's in our mission statement and, and the cool thing about our mission statement is that we manage Turner lands in an economically sustainable and ecologically sensitive manner. So um, economics is just as important as ecological. And, you know, there's 
we call it in our company sometimes attention, but um, you know, we, we pull on both sides and, and it's really important for us to, to make good economic decisions, but we're not going to follow economics at the detriment of, of the land. And so, you know, we do a lot of different projects. Um, when I was on the McMurtry, we did a three mile stream restoration project where, you know, it had been, um, the stream had been cut out to um, drain the meadow to be able to hay it. And over time, it went from two feet to bank down to 10 feet of bank. And it basically dropped the whole water table on that meadow. And so we were able to partner with some like fish and wildlife, NRCS, um, some different people. And, uh, and we were able to um, hire somebody to recut the old stream and, and plug the straight stream channel and return that system back to its natural, natural function. Um, and yeah, we probably lost a little bit of hay production in the short term. But as that water table came up, we were getting more production off of the lower production areas. And we might not be able to hay the swampy ground, but um, it, it was better habitat uh, for a bunch of different species, for sure. So we do a lot of projects like that. Um, Montana, they've done a lot of work with restoring the Rio Grande cutthroat trout up there. Um, and, and we do that company-wide um, you know, on, on a lot of properties right here, I would say our biggest focus on conservation is just really grazing things. Right. Um, and really thinking about those other, um, wildlife animals out there. Have you, so how long is the, how long is the place that you're on now been in bison? Uh, I think since 98, somewhere right around there. Have they seen any species return of vegetation or grass since it's been the bison and not uh, cattle or has it stayed pretty much the same or what's uh, there been any, anything that they point out and say, here's something that our conservation practices or ecological practices helped out on or made a difference here or changed something here? Yeah. So we've actually seen a lot of um, native species come back um, that, that weren't there before. One of the big um, things that we've seen with our grazing practices, a lot of the meadows had been planted with uh, reeds canary grass to try to get more production. And of course, if you know anything about that grass, it takes over and it's really hard to get rid of. But with our grazing practices with the bison, we've been able to, um, uh, increase our uh, native grasses um, into those meadows and and decrease the reeds canary grass. So that's been really cool. And the other thing, I don't know if you've ever looked at RAP data, um, but uh, we were able to to take a look at our ranch and do like a couple mile buffer outside of our ranch and look at trends over time. And and our grass amount of grass that we grow on this ranch has increased over time. And, uh, and with our neighbors, it, it's either stayed static or decreased over time. What's that called? Wrap. I can't remember what it stands for, but I'll, I'll get a link out there. Um, but it, it basically takes, um, aerial, um, imagery and shows you data points over time, um, to what, uh, you know, what kind of production you're getting out of your grass. That's so cool. So, I got I'll try I'll try and get towards the end stretch of this, but since we're talking about conservation and you were talking about ecological, what do you think in ranching and um, natural resource management 
what do you think the future of ecological services are as far as like as there's more um, emphasis on climate change and reversing climate change or capturing car carbon where do you see ecological services on these big landscapes these big ranches even medium sized and small ranches where do you see that going you know that's again another a great question i i really like looking into the future and trying to see what you know what's coming down the road um and this is just opinion so you know take it for what it's worth but I don't see the carbon capture becoming a, a big deal, um, and I could be wrong, but I think the real value is going to be is going to come from regenerative ag practices. Um, you know, and yes, that will return more carbon, um, but I think you know the real value to to people and and food systems um, is going to come from regenerative practices. Um, I hope um, that it doesn't get into this spot that we've been in with uh, a lot of our ag stuff where it's overregulated and it turns into money making for third parties. Um, I really hope that that value stays with the ranchers that are actually out there doing the work and, and being ethical. Um, but I really see that as being the future of ranching. Yeah, it's interesting. We we obviously agree on almost every said thing you said. So, um, but no, I'm just fascinated by it, and I'm fascinated by the interest from urban areas into what's going on on these landscapes. And I think in the past, um, in the in the past, there was this uh, idea that this was somehow detrimental, and how people are. I guess the pendulum swings both ways, and now they're beginning to see that really. These ranches and these big spaces have been placeholders from even worse things. I mean, ranches, ranching is a pretty sure. thing compared to a lot of different ways that development can go. And you see a lot of yep. cities and metropolitan areas that um, are built on top of what used to be prime farmland. So that's yeah, an interesting dynamic. So, yeah, I, I'm fascinated by the idea of. Uh, another layer of revenue or even a discount on what we're doing now in the ranching world for providing those services as they become more critical to a greater amount of people. So I think it's, I think it's right. going to be fun in the future, like you said. Um, my next question was, um, you talked a little bit about one of your mentors that works at the Desert Edge Ranch, but Along the way, what mentors have you crossed paths with that have really uh, shaped your thinking and uh, helped you get where you're at or helped you see the future? Yeah, um, I think the biggest, you know, Barry, I talked about Barry getting me into the Institute, Barry Anderson, and then Clint being a great mentor, um, you know, ever, ever since, you know, I, any kind of ranching challenges I've had, I've been able to call him. And I, I want to say that I think, um, you know, there's a real value in having a mentor that's kind of disinterested from what you're doing or displaced from what you're doing so that you can get an outside opinion. Um, I, I think that's huge. And, you know, being able to have someone you can trust that, you know, you can tell them some stuff that they're going to keep it to themselves. But uh, that's been huge for me, having somebody that's not 
in the middle of what I'm doing that I can talk to about challenges. Um, and then really my, my boss now, Mark Kostler, um, he's huge and, and he's really shaped my thinking a bunch. Um, you know, he's, he got on with, uh, Gabe Brown and Alan Williams, um, and understanding ag quite a while ago. And, and he's brought that to our company, um, and, and really helped me to see, you know, the bigger picture there and, and how beneficial those practices are. And, I, you know, I've drank the Kool-Aid, I'll say. I, I love it. Um, I love what it's doing for our land and what it's going to do for our land. Well, I, I've never really thought, I read Gabe's book, and I never really thought it was drinking the Kool-Aid because it's just uh, very practical <laughs> stuff. So, I mean, it is. Big change. But, I mean, I guess it is a radical big change in the fact that he did it so successfully. But I think he's a very common sense type of person, and it, he just uh, let that lead him. And he did a lot of research. I'm not trying to dismiss anything he did. But, uh, yeah, I think that uh, we aren't making a radical departure from what we probably know is best anyways. Right. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a mindset. You know, it's a paradigm shift of how we see things. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it is a big shift from the, the typical buckaroo culture for sure. It is. It's a huge shift. Uh, and uh, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, it that's right. It's hard for people to um, – it's hard to – find it hard to be around people that haven't seen it yet. And it's. Uh, I love them all to death and I uh, love working with some of them, but uh, it's an interesting thing. But I think that more people are going to be uh, – They'll be getting on the bandwagon also. I do too. I do too. I think it would be very easy for our children. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. In fact, my daughter, um, she's um, a sophomore in high school, and and she's really interested in in that. And she's got a little band of sheep, and she's going to do some custom grazing um, to help reduce some thistles, and so pretty fun stuff. All right, on. you got your own little sheep herd right there. Yeah, not not on the ranch, of course. Uh, sheep are deadly to bison, but uh, she oh. has. Oh, yeah, they carry a um, a herpes disease called MCF. Um, anyway, and so uh, yeah, we got to keep them a ways away. Yeah, we don't want to freak everybody out. That's <laughs> <I'm old. laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll tell you a bad assumption. I apologize. No, so, no. Uh, I think I asked you this in the the questions that I asked you to fill out, but I'm going to ask you here just because a lot of what we talked about was education. And if anybody that's getting in and wants to walk down the same path that you have is what would you tell your younger self going when you started? What would you, what would you go back and change to set yourself up better for now? Or are you good with the trajectory or is there something you could tell them to get to do now it would make their life easier when they're our age. Yeah, I think the biggest one for me, and I don't know, I mean, I could probably talk until I'm blue in the face and it wouldn't change much, but the biggest one is um, check your ego. I, I'd, I'd hand him uh, Jocko Wilnick's book, Extreme Ownership, um, and, uh, and say, read this and follow it and your life will be so much easier. Um, but just, yeah, taking extreme ownership for stuff, um, and, uh, um, 
and checking my ego. I think that would have saved me a lot of pain in the past. But, you know, I think the other thing I would tell a younger version of myself is to have faith in the future. I think we get so jaded on news and everything else that we think that things are going downhill and things are bad. And, you know, just I I think things are going to turn around. Things are going to be great and have faith in the future and just keep trucking forward. I think there's an interesting thing about ego and agriculture is uh, in agriculture, sometimes we, we're, we're a humble lot. So, um, yeah, ego sort of tends to get that. But if you look at other industries, maybe they're not as humble. So I think there's a difference between ego and standing your ground or humbleness sure. and standing your ground. I think while we need to check our ego, I think that's important. And we need to be humble. I think as people in agriculture, we need to be good advocates and really, I don't want to use that cliche, but we need to hold our ground. So because there's just so few people that have the lifetime of learning so that you see the little changes that you might not necessarily see if you haven't been on the ground that long. And Mm -hmm. so you should have confidence and hold your ground, I think. But I do see the I think where I see where you're coming from, but check your ego because of, uh, yeah, but it's an interesting dynamic because in agriculture, we're so conditioned to be humble and then sort of take a back seat. And I don't know that that's so healthy for the, for ranching for farming right now. No, I think, I mean, there's, I think where I'm coming from more is, um, you know, when you're standing your ground, um, to, to do it in a way where you build relationships instead of um, pushing people away. And uh, I think, you know, the more relationships we can build, the, the better things are going to be, you know, instead of finding differences, finding similarities and building on those similarities will take us further down the road than anything else. And I, I see you do that. And uh, that's one of the things that I, uh, I had a mentor once tell me that the things, the qualities you see in other people are either qualities that you can find in yourself but might need to work on. So, yeah, it's interesting what you see in other people. I always thought that was a really good uh, piece of advice. Um, So what do you think the biggest disruption coming to agriculture, to ranching, to the ranch world is in the next I hate to put time limit on it, but say the next decade to the next 50 years. What do you, what do you see the big disruption going to be? Yeah, I, I see the biggest disruption as being talent, um, finding good people to, to work on these ranches. Um, and, and it's not that they're not out there. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges that is in agriculture that I've seen time and again is good, solid leadership. And and the lack of leadership has driven more people away from agriculture than almost anything else. And so, you know, good leadership and, and then the, the pool of people that to choose from isn't the same as it used to be. Uh, you, you could find a cow hand a dime a dozen out there and, you know, it didn't matter if they were there six months or a year or whatever, you'd have another one waiting for the opening but it's not like that anymore. 
and I think a person's got to be willing to take someone and train them and teach them how to work. I hear it all the time um, in, in my field, especially from ranchers. I can't find anyone that knows how to work anymore or that wants to work anymore. And, and that's just, it's not the truth. There's plenty of people that want to work. It's just, they might not know how to, and, and you've got to teach them how to. Um, they're not going to come with a skill set. And I, I'm a firm believer that you have to hire for character and train for skill. If you're trying to hire for skill and, and you throw character aside, you're going to be disappointed every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's a good observation. I see that a lot. There's a more and more. There's a limited pool of people that uh, that you that you used to be able to count on that are no longer there. They retired, or they uh, or they've gone to bigger things where they take on a le- higher level of responsibility just because of even with a little bit of experience, it helps a lot. So for sure, yeah, and, and the dynamic has changed a lot too. We're seeing a lot more women coming into agriculture. If you Look, uh, a decade ago at pretty much any animal science program in the nation, you would have seen 75 to 85% male and the rest female. And today it's actually reversed. Um, and so, you know, people have got to be a lot more open to, to hiring females. And um, that's, I think that's going to be a big game changer as well. Well, I got, I have. You you have a daughter. How many? Do you have one daughter or more? Multiple daughters. I have one daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I have. I was raised with two sisters, a very strong family of women, and uh, I was actually one of the best things I read this week was that um, cattlemen association are going to rename themselves. (laughs) I thought that's crazy because uh, so much about ranch life is the combination of the the husband and the wife. Mm-hmm. And a lot of their branches are successful because there's a 50-50 split in the responsibility, and it's not something that happened in recent times. It's something that goes back hundreds of years. And uh, these ranches and these farms would not be what they would be without the women that were part of them. And for uh, sure, taking care of the kids and teaching them values and, like you said, character, that kind of stuff. And uh, it just I, I just have to say, Ray, when more women are t- getting leadership roles and coming into these things that traditionally were um, um, sort of male-dominated things, and I'm, I'm a pretty conservative guy, so it's not a political thing, but I'm just so happy to see um, – I'm just so happy to see that entrance because I think it adds a lot of value and it gives us a lot of uh, – I just think it's great. So thanks for bringing that up. Um, Then my last thing is, so we talked about what's the biggest disruption. What do you see in the same timeline as the greatest innovation, the thing to look forward to the most? What's what's your brightest future look like? You know, I I think we talked about it a little bit, but I really think, um, you know, regenerative agriculture is really – the thing to look forward to the most, the biggest innovation. Um, you know, we're going to see a lot of technology. I mean, we're already seeing um, just the beginning uh, of like uh, fenceless um, systems for cattle, you know, wearing collars and, you know, having uh, 
imaginary lines there that they can't cross. Um, you know, and, and GPS driven tractors, we're seeing a lot of different technology there. That's really great. And I think we'll still see some of that, but I think the real, um, future is going to be in improving our land and, and improving our soils. Yeah. And it, I'll just add one thing to that. I, along with that is I, I think a focus off of, and, and I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but getting, getting away from this notion of having to feed the world and, and maybe focusing more on feeding our communities. Um, you know, I, I see that, you know, especially with regenerative agriculture and people being interested in knowing where their product comes from, that we're going to see a lot more ranchers create relationships with people like mothers with five kids, um, bringing them out to the ranch, showing them the ranch, and and then those mothers having trust in that rancher enough to buy their product. And so, you know, having more community-driven systems instead of global trying to feed the world systems, I think, is really where it should go. Yeah, I uh... – this experience with this uh, couple weeks or last week, um, we had uh, some guests staying at Airbnb. It was a white, it was a, a mother and her boys, and she. Uh, I have to get hand it to her. She's she was uh, um, how do you say it? Adventurous. So one of the boys came and uh, did a little branding with us and hung out. She she walked all around the ranch, looked at birds, and just had a wonderful time. And man, I love having those. I love having that those people and that interaction. And uh, I think sometimes in conventional agriculture, there's a tendency to allow that type of access. And I don't know if that helps this. So, yeah, I'd like to see a future where people are. I I always I also agree with the. It's not about feeding the world. It's about feeding your neighbor, and um, and so I like that. Because it seems to me that we lost that tie in the community where everybody was sort of invested in agriculture as more people moved to urban areas. Yep. And in the past, they, they had that deep investment in agriculture. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's a pretty bright future. And, anyway. you know, I think the other thing, too, with that is as you feed your communities, um, you know, it helps us all be more accountable and ethical in what we do. Um, you know, you've got to look the person in the eye and tell them that you're giving them the healthiest product that they can find. Yeah. Um, anything else on your mind? Man, I was just um, tickled to be the first uh, guest on your podcast and really, really enjoyed the time. Um, you know, I think just, you know, my journey has been been pretty unique um and i would say the one thing that i'd share kind of in closing is you know don't be afraid afraid to change careers and change trajectories because you never know where it's going to lead you um you know everything that i've done you know even you know going to kingsville for two years i felt for a little while while i was in the hr world man why did i put my family through uh two years of living in a fifth wheel camper in south texas um, to go to school. And, and now here I am in HR, but you know, it, it everything leads to something else. And, and I never have regretted 
um, any of the steps that I've taken that have brought me to where I'm at. And, and I'm really excited about, you know, where I'm going in the future and, um, and, you know, what we're going to do here on the ranch. It's pretty exciting stuff. And everything that I've done has led me to where I'm at right now. Oh, one last thing before yeah. I go. I want to hear about processing the bison in the field. Why is that important? Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Talk about that. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we partnered with a company called Wild ID Bison Company, and uh, they bring a truck, semi-truck down with a cooler in it. Um, they can handle 40 head, and they come down to the ranch, and they'll harvest the animals right out of the field. And um, and it it's amazing what that does for reducing stress, reducing bruising, you know, any, you know, you got to transport those animals um, down to Colorado for us. And um, instead they just come out there and they shoot them right there. And, and then they bring them up to the truck, they process them and get them into halves. Um, and then they, once they get 40 head, then they head up to rapid and um, break them down and package them that next week. And then they go out and slaughter another 40 head. So it's a really, really neat system. And, you know, I end up getting some steaks for a, a little function that we had here, had some guests and, uh, and got some ribeye steaks that were actually from um, our company's animals and actually my animals on the ranch. And, uh, and, and they were amazing. Um, it was amazing. The difference in tenderness and flavor that came from those animals that were grass harvested. And where is, is there anywhere where anybody can go to get any of them or is, is it just. Yeah. Yeah. You can uh, actually go onto wild ideas website and, and it's almost, uh, almost like a wine following, if you will. Um, you know, people wait for um, bison to be harvested in different, you know, areas so they can taste the different flavor profiles. It's actually pretty awesome. So wild idea bison company, um, and you can order online there and they'll ship it to you direct. I would also re highly recommend Dan O'Brien's book. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's good. All right, Chris. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, being the first one on, taking the big leap, and uh, maybe we'll come back, circle back around. And I definitely, I tell you every time we talk to you, I'm dying to get out there, check out your operation in Montana. And, uh, can't wait to make it work. So yeah, come out we'll, we'll make it happen. So, all right. Well, I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you in a bit. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Don't leave me yet, Chris. Okay. Oh.